Thank you so much, Parker and Choir, for leading us in beautiful music today. We continue our sermon series from Samuel. So I want you to turn back for just a moment to 1 Samuel, then we'll make our way to 2 Samuel chapter 1. But for a moment, 1 Samuel chapter 28, and I'll get to that passage in, in, in just a moment. In our sermon series on Samuel, just a few weeks ago, Saul, the one who had outlawed all the mediums, the witches from the land, so that people would worship the one true God, Yahweh, finds himself in a predicament. God is not speaking to Saul anymore through the prophets. The prophets are silent. And in fact, the chief among the prophets, Samuel, is already dead. No voice of God from the prophets. And in his dreams... God doesn't speak anymore like he used to. For Saul, God is silent. But Saul needs to know, do I go against the Philistines in war or do I not? Will I win? Will I lose? And so he disguises himself. See him now. Saul under cloak and cover, a desperate man who'd outlaw the witches, now going to see a witch, showing his moral exhaustion, his despairing faith, his failed life. He goes to the shady side of town seeking a medium who can conjure up a word from the dead prophet so he will know, shall we fight against Philistia? Please, please, the witch says, don't you know King Saul has outlawed our very existence? I can't practice witchcraft anymore. Is this a trick? Are you trying to get me killed? What are you doing? She doesn't know. It's the king himself. Don't be afraid. Just call up whomever I ask of you. Who do you want? I want you to call up Samuel. Well, I see a divine being coming up out of the earth. Well, what does he look like? He's an old man, and he's wearing a robe. And Saul bows down, does homage. He knows it's the prophet Samuel. And Samuel says to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Even in death, Samuel the prophet now dominates the narrative. Samuel continues to be, even in death, the most awesome figure in Israel since Moses. Samuel painstakingly reviews the record of all the failures of Saul and how God has cast him aside and chosen his neighbor, David, to be the new king. But in the midst of the conversation. Samuel, now dead himself, says to Saul, well, look at 1 Samuel 28, 19. Moreover, the Lord will also give over Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines. Therefore, tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. Tomorrow, you'll be on this side, Saul, you'll be on the side of the dead. Our sermon this morning picks up on the other side, 
on the side of the dead. Now turn to 2 Samuel. I want you to look at, in 2 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 19. They bring the word early in chapter 1 to David that Saul is dead. Saul and his sons, he's just received the information that his best friend Jonathan has died along with God's anointed the king. And this is David's response beginning in verse 19. Your beauty, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How have the mighty fallen? Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised exult. O mountains of Gilboa, let not dew or rain be on you, nor fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul not anointed with all. For the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back. The sword of Saul did not return empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and pleasant in their life and in their death, they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. O oh, daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel, how had the mighty fallen in the midst of battle? Jonathan is slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was more wonderful than the love of women. How had the mighty fallen and the weapons of war perished? My, how the mighty have fallen. Not once, not twice, but three times in this Lament, David says to us, the mighty men, Saul and Jonathan, all the sons of Saul, have been taken in battle. Now, Saul had been so terrible to David for so many years, chasing him in the wilderness. And yet, to David, Saul was always God's anointed. In some ironic way, David remained loyal to Saul. He really is earnestly grieving over the death of God's anointed. He was always pulling for Saul. And then there's Jonathan. Had there ever been a friend in David's life, before or after, who could be like Jonathan, Jonathan, who had given his seat at the right hand of the king to David, who had given him literally his royal robe, who had sworn his love, who had entered into a covenant with David, that David would always be first in his life, a covenant with this renegade warrior, David. My, how the mighty have fallen. My, how the mighty have fallen. My, how the mighty have fallen. It was an awful day. For David. Though Saul hated David, David would not be controlled by Saul's hatred. Saul made life difficult, horrible for David, but he could not destroy David. David had not allowed Saul's hate to determine his life. If he had, he would have been destroyed. He would have been damned. He would have been reduced and trampled and constricted by vengeance. But instead, David allowed Saul's hatred for him to cause him to grow. It had been terrible. 
What a battle scene that's described here in David's lament. Look now, look all over the hill. The bodies of the Israelites drawn in war. This one wounded, that one dead. It was a bloody battle. And look at the hill, the bodies heaped upon heap. During the, the battle, Saul and his men were on the defensive. My, were they on the defensive. I can't help but wonder if he had kept David, his, his chief warrior, by his side, would he have won? the war, but he had pushed David aside, and now Saul was without his best, the one that had slain 10,000s while he had only slain a 1,000. Somewhere in the midst of that bloody defensive war, when Israel is retreating on the hill, an archer hits, the Latin Vulgate says, it hit him in the abdomen, and it was a mortal wound to Saul. He'd already seen his three sons slaughtered. I think he might even welcome the arrow after that sight. Jonathan, Abinadab, Malkishua. But he didn't want the, the Philistines to make a bloody sport of his body. Come, he said to his armor bearer, run me through, finish the job, get it over with. But he would not. He would not have any part in killing the God's anointed and so Saul falls on his own sword and in 1st Samuel 31 6 we read thus Saul died with his three sons his armor bearer and all his men on that day together the Philistines finally arrived to, to mop up the bloody scene they stripped the Israelite men they removed Saul's head from his body and pass it around to the villages for a political cheer they take his armor and they put it in the temple to the Ashtaroth. They tie his body and the body of his sons to the wall of Bethshan. They throw a party over the death of the king of the Israelites. And Elder Adashim says it this way. And now it was night. And the headless bodies of Saul and his sons deserted by all swung in the winds on the wall of Bethshan amid the hoarse music of vultures and jackals. What a dark scene from the narrative of the text. What a horrific event. And how does David respond when they run with the word that Jonathan is dead and Saul is dead and Israel is in calamity? I want you to notice a few things. First of all, David acknowledges his grief. David acknowledges his grief. David acknowledges the loss, and David laments because he cared. Eugene Peterson has said it this way. Listen carefully. In order to live totally, we must face death totally. In order to live totally, we must face death totally. David had lived so exuberantly, and likewise, he lamented fiercely. Life matters. It matters that Saul is dead. It matters that Jonathan is gone. Do you realize that the majority of the songs of David are laments? You realize they're about loss and grief? David always admitted his grief. Laments the songbook, the Psalter is full of laments, and, and this one here in 2 Samuel chapter 1. He didn't avoid it. He didn't deny it. 
He didn't soft pedal it. He sings, oh, your beauty, oh, Israel, is slain on your high places. My, how the mighty have fallen. David admitted his grief. Don't tell it on the streets of Ashkelon. Don't let the Philistines get excited about this. This is private news for Israel only. In verse 21, he even curses the mountains on which they died. No dew, no rain, no, no grain for you. You're the place where Jonathan died. Cursed be you, Mount Gilboa. And don't think, verse 22, that they went down easily. Man, they were fighting Jonathan, the expert with the bow. And Saul now the sword and the fat of the Philistines. Don't you think they were weak? Why, look what he says. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Your love to me was the most. C.S. Lewis and the Four Loves, an exposition on friendship, says this. Our ancestors regarded friendship as something that raised us almost above humanity. This love, this friendship free from instinct, free from all the duties but those which love has freely assumed, almost wholly free from jealousy and free without qualification from the need to be needed and inwardly spiritual is the sort of love or friendship that one can imagine happening between the angels. David and Jonathan loved each other. When confronted by the news that Jonathan was dead and gone, David cannot hold it in. He doesn't even try. He grieves. He acknowledges the great loss before him. It never fails in a funeral or at the moment of death, someone will say, I I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to cry. I thought I could be in control. Why would you want to be in control? Does David sound in control? David's not in control. Death, knowledge, or grief. Sometimes somebody will say to me after a funeral, I don't know how you do it. You loved him, you loved her. How did you get up there and make it through that? Well, don't, don't be fooled. I didn't make it through it. I've grieved already. Sometimes I'll, I'll read the funeral service through and I'll cast myself upon my own bed or cry in my car or whatever I need to do. And when you do hold it down, it comes back. It'll get you later. Acknowledge your grief. Sometimes when I have had a lot of funerals in a row and I haven't dealt with my grief very well, I'll be watching a, a silly television show, you know, something like Andy Griffith and the three birds will die and I'll just be weeping. My kids will be laughing and look, dad's crying again and they laugh. It's not about the birds. It's about you. Acknowledge your grief when death comes your way. Acknowledge the grief before you. There's a second thing I want you to see. That is what David doesn't do. He acknowledges death. There is no denial. There is no distraction. There is no drugs. 
There is no denial. There is no distraction. There is no drugs. We become something less than human when we constantly deny the losses we experience with those around us. When destruction comes into our life and we ignore it, it's not a good thing. We lose a bit of our humanity and a little bit of our community every time we don't stop and grieve. Every time we deny the loss amongst us. Every time in our own stoic way we, we try to rise above the loss as if there's something we ought to man up or woman up about. Every time we distract ourselves with busyness to act as if they have not died. Every time we numb our body with drugs, drugs that will eventually let us down to face the grief in a much more difficult way than if we were to face it head on. No denial, no distraction, no numbing drugs. We live in a culture that's full of depression. I, I'm fully convinced that one of those reasons that we are, are so depressed and so blue is we have not dealt honestly and openly with our grief as David does. We push it down. We take something. Oh, doctor, can't you give her something? Her husband died and she's upset. Well, she should be upset. That's what you are when your beloved dies. You can't drug it away, numb it away. There isn't a pharmaceutical answer for grief. Do not deny or distract. There's a third thing I want you to see. I want you to see David's lament. There's a call to remember. Call to remember. Funerals are a time to remember. A time to remember the uniqueness of her or his uniqueness. A time to remember the serious things and the silly things, and we do them all when we do funerals. Time to remember who they were in our lives and what a difference they made and how different we are because they were in our lives. David calls for us to remember. Remember, he says in verse 23, remember Saul and Jonathan. They were beloved and pleasant in life, and they even got to die together. Don't you forget they were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Don't you forget Saul, he's the one who luxuriously clothed you, O Israel. He put the gold on your garments. And Jonathan, remember, his love was like no other. Don't ever forget those who have died. Remember her smile. Remember his smirk. Remember her perfume. Remember how his chair smells, the old spice, the leather combined. Remember the song that she loved. Remember the television show that he would make you be quiet for. Don't ever forget. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Don't you forget, O oh Israel, the gold on your garments is because of King Saul. David 
remembers. Here's a fourth and a final thing I want you to see. That is, David, who's willing to acknowledge his grief, and David, who's willing to lose control with no distraction, and David, who's willing to remember. Fourthly and finally, I want you to see that David is ready to move on. Though he will not forget Saul and Jonathan, he is not locked in the past in grief. Some of you here this morning, because you don't deal with your grief, you are paralyzed after their death, his death, her death, and you cannot move on. You cannot move on because you, unlike David, you have not stopped and you have not grieved. You haven't lost it like David did. You haven't lost control. You have delayed the inevitable. You can't see a future. Turn over to chapter 2 of 2 Samuel. And then it came about afterwards that David inquired the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to one of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. And David said, Where shall I go up? And he said, The Hebrew. David was willing to look to a new future. It's almost a shock after this powerful lament, this open grief of of David now to be the king. You think after he's, he's been over double and crying lamented about Jonathan and the loss of Jonathan. As he goes through his grief, he then says, Lord, you ready to move forward? Do you see a future for me without Saul and Jonathan? Shall I go up to one of the cities of Judah? And God says, you shall go up. There's an eruptness about this chapter 2. Out of nowhere, after we've been wallowing in grief, now all of a sudden, like a whiplash nature, David is prepared to move forward, to look to the future, and to act. He's still at his private refuge at Ziklag, you'll remember, but now he's ready to go back to the territory of his God and God's people, Israel. To move on with the future doesn't mean that you forget him. To move on with a new future doesn't mean that you forget her. Doesn't mean that at all. But it does mean that you're willing to image a new future. You're willing to imagine life beyond him, beyond her, with the sweet memories that are yours. You're willing to look for a new day. You're willing to look for a future means you have honored the person that you loved by grieving for them and now with the greatest of memories willing to move forward with the grace of God. David both grieved but David also goes forth. David both grieves but he also goes forth. You, don't, you do not honor the deceased by ceasing to function in life after her death or after his death. That's not honoring at all. That's not what he would want or she would want. Oh, don't ever forget it and hold those memories close to your heart, but imagine a new future, a future shaped by you through your relationship with them through the grace of God. Grief. Lose control, remember, and forge to a new future.
course, we're the people who worship the God with an empty tomb. We are the people for whom it is said, Oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus himself in John's gospel says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? The very essence of our baptism is, we did this morning, I died when he died and I arose when he arose. We've already died and then his children, we already walk in the power of resurrection life. Let us pray. Oh God, on a day like today, the room is flooded with memories. The Jonathans in our life, our friends, our spouses, our parents, even our children. God, thank you for being a God of life and not a God of death. A God of light and not a God of darkness. A God of victory and not a God of death and despair. Father, even as we, as a community of faith, grieve weekly for those that are no longer in our midst, we know that on that day, on that day, we shall be with them and with you in your kingdom. The name of Jesus, the one with the empty tomb, we pray.